Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. sermon in this series we've been going through this winter of why we love the local church and I know I've been encouraged even just as we meet with our GC I know our entire GC has been just encouraged by these topics that we as we looked at different aspects of God's design for the local church and just thinking about the church as the bride of Christ she is precious to him he gave his life for the church and so it's a worthwhile thing I think for us the last few months to have just studied and marveled in rejoiced in God's design for the church and is calling on us to be a part of this bride of Christ. And the motivation that we'll be considering today, uh, the reason why we lo- love the local church, is it's because we're shepherds care for our souls. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, I was able to teach on discipleship, and in some ways you can think of these two messages together. There's two different ways, two aspects of God's design uh, for how others care for our holiness. Is One is through discipleship through relationships in the church, and another is in the gift of shepherds, of pastors. The role of shepherds, of pastors, is to care for the holiness of the members that God has placed under their care. Our passage for today uh, is Acts chapter 20. Uh, If you want to go ahead and turn there, uh, Acts chapter 20. We looked at chapter 19, as our brother Lindo read for us, but we're going to look at chapter 20 primarily today, a good chunk of that. This is a unique passage uh, in Scripture. It's one of the only passages where we see Paul directly addressing and instructing the elders of a local church. So there's more general principles given. We know in Titus and in 1 Timothy we see qualifications for elders, but here he's specifically speaking to the elders in the church in Ephesus. And so if you're hearing that today, I don't want you to zone out. Uh, Don't check out on me yet. Because uh, I don't want you to think, oh, well, I'm not a pastor, I'm not going to be a pastor, I don't think I ever will be. But this passage is important for every one of us to understand. We need to have our understanding of God's design for the role of a pastor. We need to have our understanding shaped not by the culture, not by how other churches or other pastors function, our own ideas or experiences, but we need to have our understanding of God's design for how pastors should function. We need to have that shaped by the Word of God. So this passage, it's a call to faithfulness for myself and your other elders, but also can equip each one of you to rightly understand the role of elder and pastor and their care for your soul. Um, but before we begin, before we look at Acts, let's, let's bow one more time in prayer and come to the Lord as we're dependent on him. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are our shepherd. God, we are so thankful for your gentle hand that leads us day by day. God, we thank you that you have revealed your glory to us through the pages of Scripture. We're thankful that we can open your word today and read and have our understanding of your design for the pastor to be shaped by you. God, thank you for the way that you've revealed yourself, not only through your word, but through your son, the great shepherd of the sheep, who walked this earth and who was also the sacrificial lamb who was slain for our sins. God, thank you for sending your Holy Spirit who opens our eyes to behold the beautiful truths contained in your word, who empowers us day by day, sustains us and gives us strength, and enables us to live lives that are worthy of the gospel. God, I pray that you would guard me from error, help me to speak with clarity, and pray that you would be magnified today as we rejoice together, as we meditate together on truths in your word. Amen. So before we dig into this passage in Acts chapter 20, this instruction given by Paul to the elders in Ephesus, we have to understand some of the events that are leading up to this point. That's part of the reason why we read Acts chapter 19. You know that Acts 
It's a historical account of the spread of the gospel. We've talked about it throughout this series. We've gone back to the book of Acts as it describes some key events in the life of the early church. Beginning in the church in Jerusalem at Pentecost as the Holy Spirit is poured out. And then as events continue throughout the book of Acts, we see the gospel advancing to the ends of the earth. And one of the most important figures in the advance of the gospel in the early church is the Apostle Paul. We know a lot about him. We've read a lot about him. And he was particularly sent by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the good news of the gospel where it had not been heard, to establish local churches, to appoint elders, and to advance God's kingdom. He was uniquely used by God. You can think of him as one of the first pioneer frontline missionaries. So in Acts chapter 19 that our brother Lindo read earlier, Paul comes to Ephesus, and it's on his third missionary journey. He had three separate journeys that took place over a number of years where he went city by city teaching the good news of the gospel. And as he comes to the city, it's a unique story because he finds these disciples, but they're disciples of John the Baptist. They had heard of John the Baptist teaching. You know, this man who came speaking of the coming Messiah. And so they had heard from John the Baptist the coming Messiah, and they believed in the Messiah, but they were looking for and waiting for him, even though he had already come. They had not received news of Jesus who had come, but when Paul sat down with them and came to understand that this is where they're at, he explained the good news of the gospel, that this Messiah who they had been waiting for had come and had lived and had suffered and died on their behalf. And immediately they rejoiced and they repented and they were baptized and the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were in this unique position uh, in this transition period where like the Old Testament saints, they were looking forward to the promised Messiah. Their hope was in him, but they didn't know of his arrival. And so this, this just shows us the need of the Apostle Paul to come and to take the gospel to cities like Ephesus. And In the early church in those days, there would have been news that would have traveled. You know about how Paul wrote many of the books in the New Testament are letters that were written But news traveled much differently and much more slowly. Ephesus was one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire, and Paul stayed there for almost three years, it says in Acts 19. For three years, teaching and instructing and sharing the good news of the gospel as his church was established and built up. And while he was there, God empowered him to perform miracles, which validated his authority as as an apostle, displayed God's glory among the people in Ephesus and confirmed the truth of the gospel, this message that Paul had brought to the church in Ephesus. So Paul was healing, he was casting out demons, and the Lord was working through him to perform these miracles. And throughout it all, he was pointing to Christ. He was calling all to repent and believe in Christ. And even though the Lord was working these miracles, was working in powerful and mighty ways, and people were repenting, ministry there was not easy. During this time, the believers were enduring suffering and persecution and hatred. This was a pagan culture filled with people worshiping idols. People that were part of cults. There was open hostility and slander from the people around him. But Paul and the believers there did not shy away. They boldly proclaimed the good news of the gospel. They gathered in public places. They gathered in the synagogues. And he taught the gospel house to house in smaller groups. So you can just imagine what it would have been like, even for one of these initial guys who had heard from John the Baptist, who were looking for the coming Messiah, and then Paul comes and tells them, he's come, he's been here. Jesus has suffered and died for your sins. And now to see people being saved day by day, miracles being performed, people being healed. This this man who is so unique, Paul was gifted by the Lord He was proclaiming truth in him day by day. God was displaying his power in a city filled with darkness. And if you've ever been through deep trials, or if you've experienced incredible times of joy and you've walked, there's been people that have walked with you through those times. The Lord uses those things to draw us closer together. These are the events that create deep and lasting bonds between people. People that are closest to you, it might be family, your husband, your wife, your brother, your sister, close friends, those that you've shared the most with, you've lived through unique experiences in your life, key events in your life, the birth of a child, the loss of someone you love, 
Those are things that create deep and meaningful bonds between people. You can see this oftentimes. You might have a coworker. I know I've, ha- I've been in the situation where I've had a coworker that I've sat next to for three, four, five years. We've been together 40, 50 hours a week. But if our relationship isn't much outside of work, we just show up at 8 o'clock, we sit, we do our work, and then we leave at 5 and we don't speak to each other. After you move on from that job, you might never think of this person again. It might come to mind and be like, oh, remember this guy? But you might never talk again. And you might be closer to one friend or a particular person who has walked with you through a trial for one week in your life than you are with this person who you've sat next to for five years. There might be someone who was there and played a key role in your marriage. Someone that knew you before you were married and walked with you through this season of preparing for marriage and the Lord used that to form a deep bond. Or maybe someone that was there with you after the birth of your first child. Someone that brought you meals and sat with you and cared for you. Cared for your practical needs in that season. And the Lord built a deep and meaningful bond. Experiences bring people together. And that's how it was for the Apostle Paul and the church in Ephesus. You can imagine day by day, they were in the synagogues with him, hearing him teach. They were proclaiming the gospel together to people around them. They were seeing people being converted and baptized The Lord was building the church. The Lord was working miracles through the Apostle Paul. They were seeing their brothers and sisters healed dramatically. Sin being forgiven. Demons being cast out. Incredible events. And through that, they were enduring persecution and slander and hostility, encouraging one another in the Lord to stand firm. They're gathering in each other's homes, sharing meals together. And reminiscing of the work, the incredible work that the Lord was doing in their city. And you can just think, the depth of relationship that was forged in circumstances like this. They had a deep love for one another. And Paul, you know, traveled around to many different cities. If you look at his different missionary journeys, there's so many cities that he was a part of. But he invested a significant season of ministry here for three years. And he sacrificed for this church. And they saw the Lord work in incredible ways, and this drew them together. So ministry continued with them day by day until he got closer to planning to leave. And opposition to the truth, that continued to build. You can read about it. But worshipers of the pagan god Artemis were stirred up against him at the end of chapter 19. And there was such an uproar that Paul was forced to leave earlier than was planned. If you have your Bibles, you can look uh, Acts 19.23. I think it's kind of funny how it's translated in the English. It says, there arose no little disturbance. This is not a small disturbance, but a big disturbance. This was true. There was an uprising. There were riots. There was anger and hostility towards the gospel. And so Paul determined that it was time for him to move along in his journey. So he called the believers together, his disciples together. He encouraged them and he went on the way. And by the time that Paul left, many had been saved in the city. The church was well established. We know that elders and pastors had been appointed. And the work of ministry continued in his absence. We know not only from scripture, but from uh, early church history, that the church in Ephesus became one of the most prominent centers of Christianity in the early church. Some of the key churches were in Antioch, in Jerusalem, and in Ephesus. So Paul continued on in his journey. He traveled for about a year and a half. And as he came back near Ephesus for the last time, he called the elders in Ephesus to come and to be with him. So that's where we'll be for our primary text today. Acts chapter 20. We'll start in verse 17. Go ahead and turn there if you haven't already. Starting in Acts 20, verse 17. It says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So Paul is near Ephesus in the city Miletus, which is about 70 kilometers away. And rather than come into the city and create another disturbance, there must have been an expectation that it would have caused another not-so-little disturbance. He asked the elders in the church there to come and to meet with him and spend time together. And this shows... The importance of fellowship face-to-face. He wanted to be with them. He wanted to see with them and sit with them, share a meal together and speak to them. This is a different day. They couldn't just hop on a train. 
for those 70 kilometers. They couldn't hop on a taxi or a bus. This was probably a difficult journey. It must have taken them at least a day or two just to get there, to be with him and to hear from him. And they didn't come to him so he could give them something, but just so they could spend time and fellowship together. And this must have been such a sweet reunion. You can think, in a day like this where there, weren't, there was no social media, there was no regular updates, they couldn't WhatsApp each other, there may have been a letter or two. But to sit down and to hear of what the Lord had done in the last year and a half in the life in the church of Ephesus, to hear of the ways the Lord had sustained Paul, in his journey to these different cities that he'd been to. This must have been sweet, sweet fellowship. It was a benefit to time together in person. So now continuing on in our passage, let's read again. It says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance through God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So he begins here in this passage by reminding them of his example. He reminds them of the way that he had lived among them for those three years. And it's pretty amazing to see the confidence that he has in his actions. It's challenging. It's really convicting. Could we do the same? Could we point to our friends and say, you know how I lived among you? But his way of life, the way he had lived among them, was evident to the pastors after the amount of time that he had spent with them. And you can notice, it's interesting to see, he didn't point primarily to some things that might stand out to us. He didn't point to the miracles that he had performed. He didn't point to the people that he had healed, the demons that had been cast out. He didn't point to his unique authority as an apostle or the fruit produced from his own ministry. But he points to his own life and his example. He points to the way that he served. Serving the Lord with all humility, tears, and with trials. His example was that he sacrificed for those that he loved in a Christ-like way. His humility reflected that of Christ. The humble servant who came to earth and took on flesh and dwelt among us. Paul's ministry among the Ephesians for those three years resembled Christ in his humility. He often referred to himself as a humble servant, as a slave of Christ. And some people have a false idea of the role of a pastor to being limited to public speaking on a Sunday morning. And this might reflect the role of some pastors in our world, but Paul was not modeling for the Ephesian elders the role of a pastor like this. He wasn't a motivational speaker that got up there on, and had incredible points he wasn't a lecturer that showed up and taught them and then never spoke to them again. Or some kind of dignitary who showed up on, at church on a Sunday morning walking on a red carpet. He had an attitude of humility, the attitude of a shepherd. And what he was showing to them, what he was demonstrating to them by his example, was that the role of a shepherd is to be with his sheep, humbly serving those under his care. Paul's manner of life among them, it reflected the heart of a shepherd. As a shepherd, when you love and care for your sheep, you share a deep and emotional connection with them. Living day by day with them, seeing the realities of the difficulties of life, pain that they endured, suffering that they faced, and their own weakness. And pastors who know of the needs of the people under their care in a fallen and sinful world, they constantly experience the tears that Paul is talking about. And for Paul, in his relationship with this church, that was an intense reality. He had suffered alongside them. He had walked with them through trials and tribulations, through pain and persecution. And he shed tears with them. And as Sharice was sharing, I know that's true for your pastors here at Living Hope. This is a reality. As we see the effects of sin on those that we love on you as our church family, 
walking with people through the loss of loved ones, through the loss of a child, through the loss of parents, walking with people through tragedy and death around us, sin and suffering. There's many tears that are shed because of the relationships that we have. There's grief over broken marriages, over children who have strayed from the faith, over people who are suffering with sickness. This is a ministry that is filled with tears. And Paul understood this. And this is the way that he lived among the Ephesians. It says, with all tears and with trials. He knew the reality of trials. He'd faced relentless persecution at the hands of the Jews. We know throughout Paul's ministry, he faced stoning, and beatings, and hatred, being arrested and mocked and spit on and pursued with hostility and men that wanted to kill him. Paul knew that enduring trials was part of following Christ. And later on we'll see, we see that he clearly saw it coming for the church in Ephesus. But part of his example was enduring under persecution. This was an example and a witness and a ministry to them. Not only his public teaching, but his example in his life. Even to the end of his ministry with them, he was opposed, he was mocked, and eventually driven out of the city, forced to leave because of the persecution and trials that he faced. And we know his example, it was not only in the way that he served, in his life and his example, but also in what he taught. You can look there in verse 20. It says, How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public, and from house to house. So he says he didn't shrink from declaring to them anything that was profitable. So what do you think they thought of? What was profitable that he was declaring to them? And if you know of the Apostle Paul's high view of Scripture, there's a famous verse in 2 Timothy where the Apostle Paul says that all Scripture is profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness. So what he's saying to them here is when he says he did not shrink from declaring to them anything that is profitable, he's saying there's no aspect of God's divine revelation that he ignored. There's no aspect of God's word that he did not proclaim to them. Verse 20, you see, there was an intentional effort of Paul not to teach just publicly, although he did that in the synagogues and in public places, but from house to house. And this was an example to them as well. It shows the character of a shepherd seeking to humbly serve, not seeking the spotlight where his name could be made great, but to serve and care for the people in whatever means would benefit them. This private ministry from house to house, we know it wasn't out of fear. He was, in, he was teaching in public, but out of a desire to shepherd and to care for the sheep. Then in verse 21, it's really it's a beautiful summary of the message which motivated Paul, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we testify to every Sunday. As we gather as a church family, we are testifying to this same gospel, that man in his nature was created by God and for his glory, but in sin and rebellion turned away from God. It says in the book of Judges that each man did what was right in his own eyes. This is true of all of us, being born in sin, living according to our own desires, following after the desires of our flesh. But God has provided a way for man to be reconciled to him. This perfect, spotless lamb, the son of God, who the prophets spoke of in the Old Testament, John the Baptist pointed to, This Lamb of God that the men of Ephesus they were waiting for, they didn't know he had already come. This was the good news of the gospel that Paul brought to the Ephesian church and to that city. That the Messiah had come. That Jesus had suffered and bled and died for their sins to purchase an atonement for their sins. And what's required here in verse 21, repentance towards God. This is what's required of all of us. Acknowledging our sin to a holy God, confessing and turning away from it towards obedience and holiness by his strength. And faith has to be in the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting not in our own efforts, but in the finished work of Christ on the cross. And this is true for all of us today. 
In 1 Peter 2, uh, 24 and 25, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And if you've never done this, if you've never repented and believed, I would encourage you to do that today. See the call of Jesus, our shepherd. See the gospel that Paul shared with the Ephesians that transformed lives. I would encourage you today to do this. He is worthy of worship, and all our hope and trust should be in him. So as Paul continued to encourage these elders, he first spoke to his example, and next to the content of his teaching, the gospel that he proclaimed, And then next, he shared with them some of his plans and the conviction behind them as an encouragement. So let's look together in verse 22 and continue reading. It says, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to me, If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul is going to Jerusalem. The conclusion of his missionary journey will be in the city of Jerusalem. Part of the purpose of this journey was to gather funds from different churches to go and take them to Jerusalem for the support of the church there. And there were representatives from these different churches. Some of them were traveling along with them. And he knows that like in Ephesus where he faced trials and persecutions, he knows that suffering and trials and persecution await him in Jerusalem. But his motivation is obedience to the Lord, submission to the Holy Spirit, and faithfulness to the calling that he has received from the Lord. The task that he has is not something that he came up with on his own, but a task that was given to him by God to serve the church. At the beginning of Acts, when we read that famous verse, we we see that the gospel must go to Jerusalem and to Judea and to all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Paul is playing a key role in the advance of the gospel in this way. He was driven and empowered by the gospel which was given to him by Christ. We know he had a unique authority uh, because he was commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. And his commitment... And his devotion to this mission was absolute. Paul had been completely transformed by the power of the gospel. From someone who hated and persecuted Christians to someone who eagerly moved forward for the advance of the gospel despite facing persecution and suffering. The result of this is that he recognized that the ministry that God had put before him was more important than anything in this world. One famous missionary named C.T. Studd said, If Jesus is God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. And Paul understood this. And the same is true for us today. If we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, if our hope is secure in Christ, the Lord has set a course before us. In Hebrews 12, the author says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We should press forward, not by our own strength, but by looking to Christ, by seeing the message that we have been given, the importance of the gospel and its power to transform lives, depending on Christ and looking to him as our example as we seek to persevere by God's power. As our brother Connie uh, illustrated for us last week, we are created by Christ for good works, which we should walk in. One other uh, just interesting thing to note in this passage, this is a common theme in the Apostle Paul's writing, is that in this passage you can see all three members of the Trinity. So the Holy Spirit testifies to the Apostle Paul. The ministry is given to him by Christ. And it's the gospel of the grace of God. 
There's something interesting to point out that Paul was constantly recognizing the work of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in his ministry and in the work of the local church. Let's continue. Let's look down at uh, verse 25. It says, Now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So Paul's emotion, it was intense because he knew that he would not see them again. He had such a deep relationship with these believers after spending years in ministry side by side with them. And he was sad because he would not see them again. And their emotions were the same, as we'll see later. They had shed tears together. They had faithfully labored day by day. They had seen the Lord do incredible things. And now they were parting ways for maybe the last time. And what does he mean when he says, I'm innocent of the blood of all? It's not how we would normally talk. What is he saying here? I think what he's saying, he's talked about how his teaching, he taught them all the counsel of the Lord. His teaching was comprehensive. In verse 20, it said he did not shrink from declaring to them all that was profitable. He could have taught in a way that was selective. And in some ways, this would have been understandable. He could have avoided topics that would have been controversial in that city. He could have avoided passages that spoke about the sin of idolatry. This is a community that was filled with temples to pagan gods. So he would have faced intense opposition as he spoke of the sin of idolatry. He could have avoided passages that spoke of the absolute authority of God over all creation. He could have avoided speaking out against the immorality and the wickedness and sin in the culture and the need for repentance. But he did not shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God. And so because of this, he says to them that he was innocent of the blood of all. It brings to mind in the, the book of Romans, chapter 1, it says God's eternal, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. In the same way that God's glory is revealed through creation to everyone on earth, so that all are without excuse, Paul is saying that he has faithfully declared the whole counsel of God so that those who have heard are without excuse. He is innocent of their blood. And sadly, the same is true in our day. There are so many churches, so-called churches, that are filled with people who sit week by week, and the pastors who are teaching them shy away from speaking of sin and the need for repentance. There's pulpits and churches around this country where people will never speak of the suffering and persecution which we are promised as believers. There's pastors that bind men's consciences by speaking week after week of things that people have to do to be saved. That they have to give this amount of money or wear these certain clothes or fast in this way or pray these prayers or God will not be pleased with them. And these churches, these pastors, they are not declaring the whole counsel of God. And they will answer to the Lord for this. So Paul's example uh, was through the way that he served and his example of teaching, the way that he taught among them, the way that he modeled not only Christ-like character, but complete confidence in the gospel. And now he gives them some final instruction and encouragement before he leaves them for the last time. Let's read from uh, verse 28 uh, down to verse 35. Paul says to them, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, 
how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So first, that warning, pay careful attention. Pastors and elders, they're called to give careful attention to first, themselves, and then second, the flock and the believers that have been placed under their care. So first, Paul warns these elders. He calls them to pay careful attention, to keep careful watch over their own souls. As those who speak for the Lord, who serve as under-shepherds of the great shepherd, character cannot be overemphasized. The importance of character is key. The authority of pastors is non-existent if their character is compromised. You can see this as you think about the qualifications for elders in 1 Timothy and in Titus. One of the only qualifications that's given that is an ability is the ability to teach. Pastors must be able to teach. But then throughout all the other qualifications, they're concerned with the character of an elder. Pastor must be above reproach. He must be the husband of one wife. He must be self-controlled. He must be respectable. He must be hospitable. He must be gentle. He must not be violent, not be quarrelsome, not greedy, not a drunkard. He must lead his own family well. He must be a lover of good. He must be holy and upright. Pastors cannot expect to care for the souls of others if they're not able to keep watch over their own souls. This is really a sobering reminder for myself, even as I was studying this passage, and for all of our elders here at Living Hope Church. It's a wonderful way that you can pray for your elders, recognizing that we are sinners just like you. We live in a fallen world, and pray that the Lord would help us to keep careful watch over our own souls so that we're able to shepherd with integrity. So pastors are called to keep watch of their own souls, and then they're called to pay careful attention to all of the flock under their care. This is one reason why we believe that membership, church membership, is so important. We're called to give particular attention to those who God has made us overseers over. The attention of the pastors as shepherds is to their flock, the flock that has been entrusted to them by the Lord. And one thing uh, just to point out in this passage throughout the rest of the New Testament is that you've heard me use different words. So we've talked about shepherds and elders and pastors. And in the New Testament, in this passage, Paul does not distinguish between elders and pastors and overseers. They're all the same. So the term that's translated elder, this highlights their maturity and respect in the church. Back in verse 17, it says he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. Then the term shepherd or pastor, this shows the responsibility to the church as a flock. Pastors are called to care for the sheep that have been entrusted to them. This is a common theme throughout all of Scripture. Then the term translated overseer, it makes that same role even more clear without using the image of sheep and the shepherd. Pastors are called to keep watch over those under their care. And this is a unique passage because we can see all three elements of God's design for leaders in the church. So he's speaking to the elders in Ephesus. He refers to them as overseers. And then this theme all the way through of the imagery of shepherding. Pay careful attention to the flock. Pastors are called to care for the church as a shepherd cares for his sheep, carefully and attentively, not with a heavy hand, but with gentle care. They need to know the sheep. I don't know if you've ever talked to a shepherd. I don't know if I've met anyone like a shepherd that we picture or someone that cares for animals for a living, but people that do, they notice things. I don't have as much experience as sheep, but Claire's grandparents, um, they have a cattle farm. They care for cows. When we spend time with her grandparents, I always love seeing how they, they speak about their work. When they're sitting around at mealtime, what do you think they talk about? They talk about the cattle. They talk about the animals that are under their care. They talk about the grass. They talk about the weather and how it's impacting the cows. They talk about their favorite cow. They have a favorite cow named Butter. They bottle-fed this little calf when it was a baby, and now they've had it for years, and they love this cow. They know all about it. They'll speak about the one that's hurt, the one they're caring for, the one they're nursing back to health. They care for them so much, and that fills their minds, their thoughts, their conversations. And pastors are called to function this way. Your pastors do function this way. I'm thankful that I can stand before you and say that confidently, that your pastors, they care for you. They think of you often. 
They pray for you without ceasing. Their conversations are centered around how to care for you, how to encourage you, how to come alongside you and walk with you faithfully as good shepherds. And then Paul, this is not coming out of nowhere, but he's, he knows of the reality of dangers that this church will face. Where he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. The pastors are called to pay careful attention to the flock because of the dangers that exist. Care for sheep requires not just reactive, but proactive protection. Not just leading them to a green pasture and then leaving from the, them for the day and then checking in as the sun's going down, but keeping watch. One uh, regular analogy, the Bible often uses planting analogies for spiritual growth and evangelism. But members in the church are also regularly referred to as sheep. It's not stick the seed in the ground and forget about it. But care for the sheep. Keep watch over the flock. So Paul's warning here of two dangers. The danger of false teachers outside the church and then divisive people that arise inside the church. In the church, your pastors have a calling to warn you of false teaching. The dangers of following after men who are twisting God's word. False teachers outside the church. And also to keep watch over those in the body. To look for goats among the sheep. People who, who would deceive and lead other sheep astray. And then he says, therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. He points to his example again, but he's calling them to be alert. And it says, therefore, because of the warning that's just been given, because of the danger of false teachers and those who would arise among leading people astray, we should be alert. This is a warning. It's sandwiched between two different calls to action. Here again, you can see this warning, danger of the false teachers and those who would rise up among us. Because of the reality of these dangers, Paul calls these elders to be alert, to follow his example of care for the sheep out of love and with tears. And then finally, let's read uh, in verse 32. It says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And as Paul leaves them, he's not doing it in fear. He's not worried. He's not concerned. He says to them, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Paul had confidence. The word that's used, uh, that's translated commend in our Bibles, you could picture giving someone over for safekeeping. You could say entrust. If you have an older child or if you've been an older child, you can think of some parents dropping off their oldest son at university and maybe they have some friends in that city. And they're saying, please, take care of him, help him, be there for him. Or they're sending that child off to work in a city where they, they're far from and they're saying, okay, keep an eye out for my son. I love him, I care for him. Help him, be there for him. And Paul is commending them to God. His confidence is in God. Paul is confident that God will sustain the church there. Paul is confident because God has sustained him. And he has given him all that they need in his word. Our great shepherd, you can think of God the Father, who was a shepherd that led the nation of Israel out of Egypt and sustained them through the wilderness. This same God would guard and protect the church in Ephesus. And Paul had given them such an incredible example of trust in the Lord through suffering and heartache and tears. And here he reminds them, he speaks again of his example. He reminds them that the work that he did, it was out of pure motives and love for the Lord. And this example, it's really relevant, I think, for us today. One of the most destructive things that can happen 
to the witness of a gospel as a pastor who's motivated by financial gain. Twisting the gospel, the free grace of God, to increase your personal wealth, it's a horrible example of selfishness and of pride. And it was the same in the church in that day. He was testifying them, reminding them of his example, that he was not in it for the money. He was not in it to be wealthy, to have status. And this was evident to the Ephesian elders. He could point them to his example. And he, they knew it. he hadn't personally benefited, but more than that, he had endured trials and persecution and affliction. He had not become wealthy, but he had wept with them and walked with them through trials. And then closing in verse 36, he says to them, When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. The heart of Christ in the Apostle Paul as a shepherd It was so evident. His example was incredible to the Ephesian church. He had lived it out among them for these three years. And the closest that had grown because of these trials and difficulties and joys that they walked through together produced this beautiful display of emotion. There was a depth of relationship here that's incredible to see. They had rejoiced together. They had wept together. Paul had encouraged them. He had admonished them, corrected them, and encouraged them and protected them. I know many of you in the church, you have these types of relationships. It might not even be because of natural family relationships, but because you're brothers and sisters in Christ. Because you've walked through joys and trials with one another. Maybe you heard the gospel because of someone that's sitting next to you or someone that's here today. And that person faithfully shared the good news of the gospel and the Lord used that to transform your life. You've been encouraged by one another's faith, walking through trials and difficulties, praying for one another, caring for each other's practical needs. God's design for the church is so unique and so special and such a gift from God. Even in my life, so many of the key events in my life, the entire course of my life really, from childhood, my family's involvement in the local church, my conversion, my discipleship, Our life as a family here in South Africa, all of it has been centered around the relationships in the local church. The Lord uses these things to shape us, and there's a deep emotion that comes along with it. It's so beautiful to see, kneeling down, praying with them all, and they're weeping. Tears with joy and sadness mixed, joyful because of the work that the Lord has done, joyful because of the way that Paul has used them, to equip and strengthen the believers there for the church to be established and built up, but sorrowful because they would miss each other. They may not see him again. He was leaving. But Paul had fulfilled his mission, being led by the Spirit, being led by God. As he shared with Timothy, his goal was to equip faithful men who would teach others. And we at Living Hope, we've benefited from this greatly. Pastors who equip faithful men. Even now today, we can see generations of faithful men that have ministered to us. The faithful example of Pastor Josh. I was thinking about this week that some of you may have never met Pastor Josh. Some of you might not have even heard of him if we haven't spoken of him recently. But this was a man whose heart was that of a shepherd, a heart like Paul's. A man who ministered not only from the pulpit on Sunday mornings, but in our homes, faithfully teaching to us the whole counsel of God. A man who sought, like the Apostle Paul, to shepherd in humility out of love and care for each one of the sheep. I'm thankful I can stand here and say with confidence that this is true. And the Lord used these pastors. The Lord has used our pastors to equip other men, men that are now serving us as shepherds. I'm thankful I can stand here and say that this is true. So just in closing, just a few thoughts of application for myself and the other elders of the church, there's so much here. And we can, we can spend so many hours discussing this and praying through this passage. But to see the example of Paul, his exhortation to these elders in Ephesus and the God-given task that they had, my prayer for each one of us is that we would excel still more, persevering in the ministry that God has placed before us while looking to him for sustaining grace. 
And for you as a church, you can pray for your elders. These are wonderful ways that you can pray for your elder, that we would be like Paul, that we would have the heart of a shepherd, that we would be faithful not only in our example, but in our instruction. And it's my prayer that our understanding of God's design for pastors in the local church should be shaped by his word, by precious passages like these. And even as we think about uh, God, the picture of a shepherd caring for the sheep, I just encourage you that shepherds cannot care for the sheep if they don't know the sheep. So for you today, if, you have, if you're a member here at Living Hope Church, I would encourage you to get to know your shepherds. Share with them your needs and how they can help you. They want to. They want to care for you. They want to be with you and walk with you in these ways. So press into community, press into fellowship, and let's care for one another in the body of Christ as the Lord intends. And even one other beautiful thing is, even this week, if you get the chance to go back and read the letter of Ephesians, understanding the background and the depth of emotion that the Apostle Paul had can provide just really an incredible clarity and understanding of the book of Ephesians. But thankful for God's word. We're thankful for the example of the Apostle Paul. Incredible to think, as we've spoken of, that the Lord used the Apostle Paul in establishing the early church, and the gospel has continued to advance until this day. As Paul equipped and encouraged the elders in Ephesus, and they equip and encourage others, as faithful believers shared the gospel with others, the gospel has continued to go forth to us today. We're thankful for his word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your goodness and your kindness to us. God, we thank you for your sustaining grace that is with us today. God, thank you for your word and this beautiful picture of the advance of the gospel in the church in Ephesus. God, I pray for our own church family that we would have a depth of relationship that mirrors the depth of relationship that Paul had with these elders in this church in Ephesus that we wouldn't live disconnected lives as believers, but that we would walk in community day by day, hearing teaching not only on Sunday mornings, but in our homes throughout the week, and that our fellowship would be shaped by your word. God, I pray for the pastors in our church, that you would help us to shepherd with integrity, that you would guard us from sin. God, that you would help us to faithfully teach the whole counsel of God, not shrink from declaring anything that is profitable. And God, I pray that you would help uh, just grow and deepen relationships in the church, that we would ha see these types of emotions, that as we see the Lord work, as we see the Lord saving people day by day, week by week, as we see your hand upon our lives, God, that we would rejoice, and God, that you would receive the glory. Thank you for the opportunity to gather today. Thank you that we can lift our voices in praise to you and worship to you, that we can come to you in prayer and open your word together. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.